if you can really kind of get in touch with what you want. And one of the things I recommend to clients who are kind of stuck in that is writing out a three-year narrative three years from today as if it already happened. And then it makes it a lot easier to kind of put your narrative and your story as you walk it over the next couple of years in, in, in your tense and your voice. Okay, we are here today with John Dwoskin. John, it's great to have you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Yeah, man. Uh, as you know, kind of on the uh, Gravity podcast, our format's really been kind of taking people through your full life story and the journey and hoping that we can connect the dots and uh, inspire others to see themselves in you and, and have the success that you've had. So uh, it's great to have you here. Maybe you could just start kind of at the beginning and tell us a little bit about your early days. <laughs> oh my god, that's that's a big question. Yeah. I you know I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, it's interesting when when you ask a question like that because um, um, you know my early days. You know, my memories of of growing up with my family were um, you know great. I mean, tons of fun. My mom was hilarious. Uh, had a, just a huge, larger than life personality. And there was a ton of laughter and tons of family all, always around and um, Shabbos dinners on Friday nights. And um, I mean, really just a very family oriented in, you know, environment. My dad was home every night for dinner. Um, he was a dentist. I, you know, and, and there was like, and my mom made different dinners like every night. I never really thought twice about it, you know? And so, and it was, it was great. And, um, you know, and then you know, my childhood was great. I went to camp. Um, but then like as, and, and, and then around 13 years old, you know, my mom's sister got sick with cancer. My mom got diagnosed with a lung disease, uh, uh, something called alpha-1 antitrypsin. My grandmother uh, passed away of cancer that, you know, had, I mean, there was like a lot of illness um, in, in, in my family. And so from the ages of like 13 to 25, I kind of like it became an immediate adult. You know, where I was just, you know, there was still a lot of laughter, but there was also a lot of drama. And um, just because people were so, there was just so much illness um, and so much taking care of people um, around, you know, all of it. And yeah, let um, me just, hop, but I don't know. Let but, me just hop yeah. in there for a second. So, because I, I think it's interesting whenever I hear kind of the first part of that, which is, you know, that it was like laughter. And home for dinner and Shabbos dinners and making new dinners every night. You know, I, I get excited because, you know, oftentimes that's not the story. And I think it's really important that, like, that's the goal, right? We want to highlight, like, let's make these really unconditionally loving, beautiful atmospheres for families. And, and, it, and it does exist. And when it does exist, it's really uh, impactful. I mean, you, you, you have that kind of memory, that experience still. And we'll talk about kind of how things changed. But um, tell me a little bit more about like how how that kind of affected your being, knowing that you had that oh, yeah. kind of uh, early childhood. That roots, you know, it's interesting because that root goes, uh, and as I, I tell you more of the story, I'll, I'll kind of get deeper into it. But that root is, um, that was huge. I mean, I, I, I don't even know because sometimes... Because I sit in the energy of it still to this day. I mean, I'm 48 years old, and my mom has passed away, my dad has passed away, my aunt has. Passed. I mean, a lot of the people that I just mentioned have all passed away. 
But and so I will sit in the energy of that, and it's it somewhat grounds me, somewhat makes me sad, and somewhat makes me just want to eat a lot because it's like mm-hmm. you know it's it's like it's like this combination of like um, you know feeling grounded and then feeling just you know sad mm-hmm. and so but but overall and I, I I can really describe it somewhat energetically. It's just like a strong route to go back to where like when I'm processing and strategizing and thinking about things and problem solving things, I will meditate to that mm-hmm. space. And it's interesting too, because a lot of times when I dream, right? So this, that's, that's many houses ago. Uh, the house that I grew up in is when I dream, I will be in that mm-hmm. house. Um, I'll be you know around that kind of kitchen table and in my dream, whether it's in a room and it's it's interesting because it is it's it's so just grounded in my in my being because there was such there was equal joy and equal sadness at the table at mm. all times yeah not all times but for many 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 yeah. many years because you know we would be laughing knowing someone at the table yeah. was dying it was very yeah. fucked up yeah, yeah yeah it's that is really interesting and got to be really difficult for a 13 year old you know, yeah. you, you kind of describe like 13, 25 is like adulting, but like, you know, I have a 14 year old and, uh, you know, 17 so and I, 19 yeah. and, and I can see the difference, you know, 13, 14, it's still really children. It's young. And to oh, kind of have yeah. that range of emotions going on, you know, tell me a little bit more about kind of what that was like. Yeah. You know, so I have a I have a 14-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son, soon to be 15 and 18. And I say to my wife all the time, I can't believe that what I went through and what I had to walk through at those ages, like it just seems inconceivable for my kids to have to be doing it. Cause in many cases, when I turned 15 and had my permit, I was the one driving so many of the people I just mentioned to the doctors, like three, four days a week. I was like at doctor's appointments, just kind of shuttling people. But, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because I look back and I think, where the hell were my parents put me in therapy during mm-hmm. that time, right? Like it was, it was so much at once, you know, going on that it was, it was hard to mm-hmm. process. And my family was all about this person's sick, this person's sick, this person's sick, this person's sick, but we want to hold their dignity. So you can't tell anybody mm-hmm. that they're sick, you know? So that I kind of, you know, those, that generation, I think those generations kind of lived in that kind of mm-hmm. bubble. You know, so yeah. So you're um, really, you, you're really, really having to carry that too. Had to having to carry. Yeah, so it, you're right. carrying yeah. like this, like fear. This kind of like I have to be like st- like stepping up, leading. You know, at this young age, and, and like, and I can't tell anybody. Correct. Correct. And so, and then just like shake it off, and then just go. You know, play with my friends and go to school, and you know, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it was it was really. I didn't know it was tough at the time. I knew it was more, I knew it was tough. It, I, I don't know how to describe it because it's like all of a sudden life just like, boom, mm-hmm. you're here. But like, it's almost, it was harder as I got older and realized what yeah. I did versus walking through it. Because walking through it in a weird way, I, I don't want to say I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed it in the sense of our family was always together. So because there was so much stuff going on, we were always together. You know, Shabbos dinners and, 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 you know, my cousins were always over. My aunt was always over. My grandparents were always over. Somebody got sick and, and had to go through chemo. They lived in, they moved into our house. They moved into our base. I mean, it was like, we were like this like hub of like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tumult. And so I, 
that element, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't until I got older when I looked back and I thought, oh my Jesus yeah. Christ. Like, and then at about 25, I got into therapy and started really unpacking a lot of it. Um, and, uh, um, and realized, you know, whoa, that was more stressful than I thought. Even now at 48, I look back because I see my kids, like you were saying, I see my kids at an age where I was going through all of that. And I think, God, and I really have to kind of like stop and ground myself and, and, and let things go and just kind of know that everybody in those moments at the best time and then just constantly not just like hold any anger in my mm-hmm. body. Cause I'm a, I'm a big believer that it just will manifest into things I don't mm-hmm. want. So um, yeah, just kind of the art of letting go um, and just kind of knowing, knowing that everybody did the best job that they could and not harboring any mm-hmm. anger. I, I really do my best to really put myself in yeah. that space. Well, I think that's a very healthy space to be in. And I've, Easier said than done, by the way, because I was angry for a lot yeah. of years, yeah. right? So, I mean, I was a lot of, th- it's, it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of therapy to sound like, like I'm no, Zen, but I'm, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mean to make it sound like it's like that yeah. easy. It was very difficult. I mean, there was. Yeah, you know, no, no. So. I think that um, that's very important what you just said and it, and it's very honest. And, um, and I think, you know, that people need to hear that because it can kind of, you know, what we call like spiritual bypass. It can kind of like look like, yeah. oh, and, you know, here I am. It all served me and it was all gratitude. And I'm so thankful for this experience. It made me who I am, you know, you know right. things I believe. But, you know, yeah. you, 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 you can't skip like what did happen along the way, right? Correct. And, correct. and it's not easy to get to that state. You know, and and, right. and and what I've actually been kind of learning more and more and is just how important it is to go through each state. You know, that anger yeah. needed to have a space too. You know, you don't want to yeah. hang out there for too long, but it, it needs to come out. And it's, you know, so yeah. tell me a little bit more about like, so, you know, what actually happens 13 to 25 and, you know, what, what eventually lands you in therapy? What brings you to therapy? Yeah. Well, I'll kind of start with the end. My mom passed away. Um, I actually started getting to therapy when I was 23. Um, I was, no, 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 25. I was, my mom passed away and um, I was talking to one of her best friends that ended up becoming, that uh, my dad ended up marrying my mom's best childhood mm-hmm. friend. And, and so after my mom passed away, it was interesting because before my mom passed away and when she was actually healthy, she said to my dad, when I die, because she had this lung disease, you're going to marry, um, you know, Chicky Fane, mm-hmm. this woman. And so my dad was like, oh, you're crazy. Cause my dad and she weren't friends. And then my mom passed away and they ended up dating and got, and got married. So my dad always kind of felt like my mom was very psychic mm-hmm. and my mom, you know, always had her hand in mm-hmm. it. So it was, it was kind of mm-hmm. easy, right? It was easy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they had a great life together and, um, both my mom and my dad and my dad and, and, mm-hmm. and Chicky. But I was talking to Chicky a lot after my mom passed away. And then one day she called me and I just was, I just had no energy left in my being. And she said, Jonathan, you, you gotta, you gotta go see a therapist. And so she got me the name of somebody that my stepbrother was going to, and that's it. And then I started and it was like, his name was Mr. Doctor, not Mr. But Dr. Gonzalez. And I remember I went to him and I was like, oh my God, like if I finally have a space that's all about me that I can uh, just kind of dump on and talk to somebody, um, dissect what I'm thinking. And, um, and it was, it was mm. the greatest. And, um, and from him, um, I went to him for a bit and then I went to like one or two different therapists 
And it was great. And then I started going twice a week, which was even better because it just accelerated kind of the process. Because if you've been in therapy, which yes, I'm assuming I maybe have, you yeah. have, but if you haven't been in therapy, you know, you're, you're talking, 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 and you start at one o'clock and at one forty-five, it doesn't matter where you are, right. you're done. Right. And it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember going to my therapist and saying, you know what? I, I feel pretty great. I think I'm, I think yeah. I'm done. Like I think yeah. I'm done. And they said, they said, you know, I was actually going to talk to you today about starting to come twice a week instead of being done. <laughs> uh-huh. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it was, and, and, you know, it's scary because you're talking about a lot of things. I remember always um, my therapist saying, you know, I would say, they would ask me a question and I would say, well, you know, I love my mom and dad, but, and they would say, you don't, you don't need to keep on saying you love your mom and dad. Like we get it. You don't need to keep on right. just, that was like, that was great advice and medicine for me where you could just surrender and say whatever the fuck you wanted. I don't mean to swear oh, on the okay. podcast, but what, whatever you want and, um, and not be judged mm-hmm. by it. And because when I'm in those, when I'm with my therapist, I say things that like, if it were in the newspaper, and people would be like, you're a horrible human being. Like, how can you think mm-hmm. that or process it that way? Or maybe not a horrible human being, but you know, I you do, understand I what do, I'm yeah. saying. It's a very safe and, um, place to be able to say whatever safe, you're thinking. And place. by the way, most people right. that would judge you for saying what you're saying are probably having a similar thought. They just don't think it's Correct. okay to say. Um, so, so it's Correct. so healthy. I mean, I'm a huge proponent. I'm still in therapy. You know, I, I love it. My, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a, a big fan for that reason, in part, just the outlet. But then also there's like, once you say it, you can get some, some help, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So I don't even remember the beginning of yeah, the question, well, but that's how I got into therapy. Okay. So I started getting, like, that's how I got into therapy. She was like, you, you have, you need to go talk to somebody. I just had no, I remember feeling I had no energy left. It was like so much because well, by the time my mom passed away, it was 10 years of um, my grand, my, uh, my aunt died. My, my mom's sister died at 44. She was diagnosed with cancer at a young age, went through a horrible, you know, 10 years or so. And then she died. My grandma had cancer. It went through all everything. She died. My grandpa who lives with us, he died. My mom died. So when my mom died, her whole, it was like the end of her whole family died within 10 years. And I just was like, I just like, I, I remember thinking like I, it was just exhausting. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. exhausting. And so it was just, you know, I think I have a strong soul. I never, um, I just, I just knew I had to just figure yeah. it out. Let me ask you a little bit more about that. Um, because, you know, I'm kind of envisioning this, this, you know, young uh, teenager being forced to be an adult with all of that kind of figuring it out needing to happen. And, and all of the death around you happening. Tell me a little bit more about like, did you go away to school? Did you, you know, kind of what, what how much of like a, of a, of a life were, were you able to, to have during that time? Did you yeah. have any interests and in things that you were able to do outside yeah. or was this, you know, how, how consuming was it? It was pretty consuming, but fortunately, uh, when I was you know thirteen, my summers were at uh, sleepaway camp, which was great. And it's funny because you know you don't know you're going through stressful times, and because you just don't really know until you're while you're going through it. I think per se, but I remember getting on the bus to camp. I went to Camp Tamarack, and thinking, ah, oh, this is the great. Like I, you know, it's like I never, I never missed home for mm-hmm. one second. I mean, I, I couldn't wait. You know, I ultimately went away to college and things of that nature. And so that was, that was great. Um, but I stayed home my first year of college because my mom was so sick. I thought she was going to die that I stayed home 
Uh, I went to community college my first year. And then um, I went away with all my friends uh, to, uh, I went to Eastern Michigan mm-hmm. University. But it was, it was, it was very, um, it was very consuming mm-hmm. otherwise. I mean, I had, you know, I had a ton of friends and things of that nature, but it just was, it was yeah. consuming. It was, it was, it was more consuming than, um, than I even probably remember. Yeah. It I mean, it seems like in, in yeah. some ways you had kind of two lives, you know, you had this really kind of happy piece that maybe also came out at camp, college. But on the other hand, you had this kind of adult, you know, really responsible, intense, you know, uh, sickness, you know, kind of side too. And it it seems almost like you were kind of going in and out of these two very different lives. Yeah. I never really, yeah. I mean, to me, it was kind of the hard part was the, the, the family life was always there. It was always, um, just kind of lingering there. Cause there was always somebody kind of, you were always waiting for kind of the shoe to drop. Right. And everything was very extreme. Like, you know, someone would go to the, you know, someone went to the doctor, they were fine. The next week they went to the doctor, they, they were dying mm-hmm. and, you know, they had two years to live. And so it was kind of like that. It was hard to kind of escape from the, the daily kind of um, knowing that that was kind of all mm-hmm. happening. It, it, the way I look at it, it's almost, it almost seems like a different lifetime mm-hmm. ago yeah. for me, I, you know, because it's, um, you know, I remember going up North because we would go to this one place called Shannon Creek a lot. And I would always share a room with my brother and my grandpa. And, um, and I remember the phone ringing at two in the morning accidentally. And my grandfather like, like, like had a, almost like a anxiety attack when the phone rang because he thought like, Oh my God, who's, who died, you know, or, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And so it was, it was just, it was, it was just a weird, I don't even, it was just a weird um, thing to go through, but I am real. what I, but when I kind of zoom out and say, Hey, what am I grateful for? The closeness, the laughter. I mean, thank God my mom had a great personality and was funny because we always were all laugh. We were all That's laughing. Great. And yeah. so, so yeah. So I, I, I find myself now though, I, I do have like a nervous laugh where something happens and you know, somebody falls down and I laugh, but not that I'm right. laughing at them, obviously, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you have to learn how to um, find some type of um, sense of things and humor yeah, of some things. lightness, some joy, uh, some lightness. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, I'm just curious because you've mentioned um, Shabbos dinner and, you know, tumult. And, and, and so I'm wondering, you know, um, <laughs> what was the kind of religious component? You know, you also talked a little bit about, you know, holding space and meditation and, and things that, you know, I don't know if they're more kind of things you've learned in therapy or if there's a spiritual component to that. Like what was kind of the religious spiritual part of your household or your upbringing? Yeah. You know, I mean, we grew up Jewish and uh, we belonged to a reform temple and we were, my brother and I uh, were bar mitzvahed. We had Shabbos dinner every Friday night and, um, you know, we went to shul on high holy days and occasionally once, <laughs> once in a blue moon. So it's not like we were, you know, um, you know, more, it wasn't so much more than that, but the traditions and the, I, I would say the spiritual energy of Judaism was very significant in mm-hmm. my house. And so, yeah. And um, as far as meditation, I didn't start meditating until I was about 26 years old. I had just met my wife and she was, she's from Detroit, but was living in Chicago. I was visiting in Chicago. We met and she was seeing a holistic doctor. 
Dr. Darren Weissman, who's still a good friend of mine. And she's like, you got to go see my holistic doctor. And he would start to realign my energy. And like, I went in, I'm like, I'm allergic to dairy. I'm allergic to this. And he'd be like, boom, 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 realign my energy. And then he'd be like, okay, you're mm-hmm. fine. And he taught me how to mm-hmm. meditate. He taught me how to meditate, and which saved my life, which ultimately saved my life. Meditation saved my life. Okay. Do you, or, do you want to talk about how you want to explain that? So I, um, so he taught me how to meditate. I could meditate for about a minute at a time. And, um, and so I'm about, you know, 26, 27 at this time. And I started meditating every day. And, um, my, um, my wife and I got married and, um, but I mean, we were dating and then we got married and I was meditating every day, um, like for like an hour a day. I don't even remember, but I just loved it. It was such a great space. And I had just had a checkup. It was like March. This is, I had just had a checkup in December and I, I, and my meditations went black and I meditated in the same place every single day for like every morning for like an hour. And so I said to my wife, I said, Joanna, I, I think I have testicular cancer. She's like, oh, you're crazy. You, you, I mean, you're reading, I was reading Lance Armstrong's uh, Armstrong book at the time. She's like, no, you just had to check up. You're fine. I'm like, I just, my meditations like went black. I just intuitively, like, I just feel like something is wrong with me. I, I, and da, 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 da. So I kind of let it go. And then um, April came and I, I just, it wouldn't go away. My meditations were still black. They, my color, the color had changed in my To describe what that means, you know, for people that don't know, like, like what it meant for it to go black. So when I was meditating, like I would meditate and I could get to a place where I could just visualize kind of clear white lights. And, um, or even if I was like somewhere visual, there was color in it. And, and then just, it just went like the screen went dark, like a television goes dark, you know, back in the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 48, like in the eighties when it really, <laughs> yeah. like, when there's no yeah. signal today digitally. And, um, and so I called my stepbrother, I ended up going, I got a new um, internist and I made an appointment and I didn't tell him what was going on. And long story short, he said, um, and I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I just felt it. And he said, uh, you know, basically you have a, you have a lump in your testicle. So I went to a urologist and he did an exam and he said, you're fine. And I said, I, I, I know I'm not fine. Just like take mm-hmm. my blood, like just, you know, take my blood. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent positive. You're fine. If you want, you can come back in 30 days. So I came back in 30 days. And as I was, I left my jacket there by mistake. I'm on my way home. Uh, the doctor calls me and uh, the nurse calls me and says, the doctor needs to see you right now. I picked up my wife. We went and he said, I know I told you 30 days ago you were fine, but you have testicular mm. cancer, which I just, I just knew I did. Um, and I'm really grateful because I really think I caught it so early. Um, I went through 17 treatments of radiation. I was able to have children, um, you know, naturally. And, um, and it was, I, I feel very blessed, but I really believe that I, if, I, if, I, if I had never learned to slow down then my body would not have um, yeah, picked it up. It's in time. Interesting. I mean, I think that a uh, couple things. You know, first of all, the 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 hit that you got, that intuitive hit. I don't know if it's intuition, if it's you. You credit it to meditation. You also mentioned that your mother was, you know, psychic, um, had psychic yeah. abilities. I mean, uh, do you think that's part of this? Like. Was it really the meditation? Yeah, Tell me a little bit more about like that strong intuitive hit because I, I I believe that and I and I think that 
we all have that ability. I'm also a, a huge proponent of meditation, and I, and I get kind of how these things come to you through the practice. And and but yet, you know, I, I'm not sure if uh, maybe everybody understands, you know, kind of the the profound uh, potential through kind of sitting in this kind of a practice. What might yeah. come to you? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I my um... I would say my emotional intelligence has always been very high. My intuitive nature has always been really high. Um, it serves me well as a business coach because I can go into companies and businesses and just, I can feel what's wrong with the mm-hmm. business. I, I, I can talk to somebody for five, 10 minutes to know exactly where they're off and out of alignment and be able to coach them. It may take them a couple hours or <laughs> you know a long time, but I, I intuitively can... Can ju- I just know it? I allow things when I'm in that space to kind of flow through me, and that's and and meditation um, is no different. You know, when I'm when I'm meditating, um, and I didn't know it in the beginning, but I could just I would surrender to the meditation to the point where you know some of my best ideas, um, you know, thoughts, um, you know, whether you call it psychic or what, is you know just things that I I can start to figure out um, when I take a quiet mm-hmm. space. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Naval uh, Ravikant. He's uh, he's a big Twitter guy and um, was on Tim Ferriss's podcast a couple of times, just recently did a second ep- yeah. episode. And he describes his meditation practice as kind of just simply allowing all the thoughts to come and to like, yeah. and, and I, I practice TM, which really, okay, yeah, so, do so, I. so, so you do know, I. TM, it's yeah. really more about going back to the mantra. And his thinking, his theory is that it's really important to kind of like have the thoughts and be with the thoughts and like think about the thoughts because that's all of your inner stuff that essentially you yeah. can solve every interpersonal issue or every personal issue in your life by giving yeah. enough time to thinking about it. Um, and so yeah. I, I don't know, kind of like where you fall, obviously, if you're a TM guy, you know, is it more about- I'm not a strict okay. TM. I'm not a strict TM guy because I do use meditation for exactly how he's mm-hmm. talking about it. And I um, I have different forms of meditation that I do depending on kind of what I feel like my body needs. I go to a Buddhist monk who is a medical intuitive and um, he was raised in a monastery in Beijing from the age of four. His family has taken care of emperors for hundreds of years. And like he has a certain mon- uh, a certain um, thing that he gives me. And so sometimes I wake up and I say, you know what? If I intuitively feel like that's how I need to meditate, I meditate on that. Sometimes I'll listen to a theta meditation mm-hmm. uh, to get me into a certain deeper meditation. Um, sometimes I'll do TM. But I meditate every day, but I kind of have allowed myself to know I did Silva Mind Method for mm-hmm. many, many years. Um, and, and so sometimes I just kind of allow myself to kind of meditate the way I feel like my body and my brain and my heart needs to meditate in yeah. that moment. And I'm curious, uh, just to kind of highlight a little bit more, this, this thing that you've said a few times about kind of feeling it. You know, I think that it, it's, yeah. it's common, especially in the business world and in general for us to really think about it. And you're right. you're describing a practice that's really more about the body and feelings and more kind of connecting into something that's, you know, I, I'm imagining, you know, to be a lot more kind of um, full 
in the experience of understanding what's going on. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I, I guess the way I look at meditation is everything has kind of a frequency and a vibration. And there's a certain kind of frequency of meditation that I can get into when I'm meditating. And so I, I, because I've been doing it, I'm 48. I've been doing it since I was like, um, you know, taught by around 26, 27, but I had actually been doing it for many years before. Cause I never even realized that I, through college, I had bought meditation CDs and that's between that and classical music. That's all I listened to when I studied. So I, but I didn't even know they were meditation CDs. I mean, I, I did, but I didn't really, you know, wasn't thinking I was meditating. I just know, like, you know, you know, like I, I don't necessarily always visualize things. I can, I can, I can just kind of sense it and, 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 and feel it and just kind of like, um, like a radio wave mm-hmm. almost. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of the best way I can describe it for myself. Yeah. Well, it, well, I think what's really important about that is you've, you've learned how to use these practices in your work and, and in your yeah. life. Too, but you know, I think a lot of times still, and it's come a long way. I, I like you. I learned to um, meditate when I graduated from college, and have been doing it pretty consistently ever since. You know, but but I think there's still, and I've seen how far it's come. You know, when I first started to meditate, I was like hiding it in my car, and you know, you certainly didn't yeah. talk about it at work, and you know, and now, now right. it's like you know, <laughs> like every you know banker in town is you know taking their tie off and meditating. Right. And, and, but, 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 you know, there's still, I think a little bit of stigma around it and, and, or at a minimum, I think what people don't necessarily really do is connect the dots as to how that can really be a part of your work and your life. Correct. And and maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I I know you, you didn't go right into coaching. Um, so maybe you want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your, your, your career track there too. Sure. Sure. Um, well, first I want to talk about, you know, meditation and part of your work It's interesting. So, um, now I'm, I'm a business coach and one of the, when I do, I'm not doing keynotes right now, but when I do keynotes, um, you know, one of the things I'll talk about is, and and the way I package meditation is uh, I, I call it executive time. And so I ask people, you know, how many or quiet time I'll say, how many people in this room, whether it's, you know, 25, 50, hundred, a thousand, how many people in this room? Um, take five minutes every day of quiet executive time to map and plan out their day, right? I kind of speak it to it in their language. And, and, and consistently, you know, five, six, seven days a week, nobody, typically very low percentage raise their hand, maybe two to 5%. And so I said, okay, I want to do an exercise. And I do a couple different exercises to get to this point. But I said, I want to do an exercise. And I want to just, I just want you to take one minute where you put your phone away and you just think about nothing. Take some executive time, take some executive quiet time and just think about nothing. So then I have everybody put their stuff away, time it, one minute, da, da, da. And then I open up for discussion. I say, how, how many people, by show of hands, was that a painful experience? And like more than half raised mm. their hands. I said, how many, by show of, by show of hands, feel like it, um, it was like five or 10 minutes? They, you know, most of the people raise their hand. And so it's so uncomfortable for people to do it. And so I say, so I talk, and then I start talking about the power of what that does for your body, uh, the power of what it does for your brain, right? We, we have, I think it's like 7.3 or 8.3. I can't remember off the top of my head, 
breaths, you know, per per year that we take. And so we're spending all this time at the gym and we're spending all this time on our diet and we're spending all this time counting calories and reps and this. But something that we do almost 8 million times a year, why aren't we studying that? Why aren't we getting better at that and have a breathing and meditation coach? I mean, the fact is that if you take five deep breaths in and five out, then it gets you out of fight or flights, no matter if you're meditating you know, or in business and you're stressed mm-hmm. out. And so I spend a lot of time kind of just talking about breath from a statistic standpoint and a data standpoint so the people in the audience can connect to it. And then I say, and some of you may call this meditation. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I kind of back into it as from, so they can hear it with their executive ears. Um, and then sometimes after my talk and, and I talk a lot about very specific things. I give a lot of tools, blah, blah, blah. And people come after me and they'll say, that was my favorite part was the yeah. one minute. I haven't taken a minute that in you know 25 years or it's ever. Fascinating. And it's fascinating. Yeah. And so I love that piece. And I, and I usually do it in the beginning where I talk about kind of setting intention for the day and, you know, things of that nature. And so, and the reason I do it in the beginning of the day or the beginning of the talk within the first 10 minutes or so is because by them taking that minute, they've raised, they have gotten grounded, they have raised their level of awareness, and now they can really hear and, and, and see with different lenses what I'm talking yeah. about. So they can actually retain mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, people uh, have it so hard. I mean, I hear this all the time. People say, I can't meditate. I don't like it. It's not good for me. I, I tried it and, you know, I, it's not for me. And and I think, you know, what, it, I just think that's just not true. And I know that might be like, you know, not right to say that, um, you know, something is for everybody. But I think what's really going on is that we are so conditioned, we are so programmed to be active, to be busy with our phones, with our work, with our activities, right. with our working out, whatever it is, that that sitting still and actually being with ourselves. And, and, yeah. and I think if you kind of unpack that, it's like, well, being with yourself might be hard because maybe there's stuff there you don't like. Maybe there's stuff yeah. there that that you don't really want to look at and, and you need to or you should or you'd be better off if you did. But it's so hard for people just to be with themselves. And, and that's why I think meditation is yeah. so hard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, you need to, and my two cents on that is people need to, you know, have a mind-body-spirit connection. And, and, and sometimes people are so out of alignment and, and chasing and running. It's like the best gift you can give yourself is your mm-hmm. breath, right? It's like yoga. One of the things I loved about yoga when I started doing it, and I never thought I would really enjoy yoga because I just never did. And then I started it and I realized the reason I loved it was because I couldn't set a goal. I couldn't set a goal in yoga. I was so goal-oriented. I was so rigid, you know, coming out of kind of how mm-hmm. I grew up, the way I could control what was going on is... I could, I could, I was so rigid in everything that I did. I mean, it helped me accelerate many elements of my life, but then I had to kind of like, you know, back off on some of it. And so when I, when I did yoga, someone was like, I was dating a girl at the time and we went to a yoga class and then I started doing it a couple of times and I thought, oh, I, the reason I like it is I can't set a goal. I can't say like by Friday, I'm going to do a headstand by, you know, and so it was, 
it was goldish. You could only do what your body could do in the moment at that time. And your anchor, the only thing that was your anchor was yeah. your breath. Yeah, my wife has um, been practicing yoga for many years. And when I first started, I would say something like, I'm not good at it. <laughs> and she would say, yeah. no, 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 that's not how it works. You know, it's not about being right. good at it. It's like, did you do it? Did you practice it? You know, right. are you are you being with it? Um, okay, let me just uh, kind of jump back because I do want to yeah. talk about your work and what you're doing now, but I also want to understand what took you to this work? Because I'm imagining that you've had this childhood experience. You've had all this death around you. You got sick. And, and I'm sure that was like not just the average ordinary getting sick, you know, having cancer hard enough by itself. But when you've had all that family right. die of, of disease, right. cancer, that's got to be super uh, intense for you. And, yeah. and, you know, then, you know, you, you overcome it and, and what do you choose to do with your life from there? So a couple things made a decision when I was about, you know, you get a biopsy and then you wait a day and a half until you find out what stage cancer you have. And prior to, um, being a month before I found this out, I met a, I, I met a guy named Johnny Immerman who started Immerman angels. I don't know if you know mm. him, Brett. And he almost died of testicular cancer. He was like at stage three or four and he was dating a girl that we knew and we were at a party and I was leaving a party and they were coming and I was, Oh, Johnny, you know, did it. Nice to meet you. I'm John Dwoskin. So 30 days later I get diagnosed and he calls me mm -hmm. right away. And so surrounding yourself with resources were great because he had like, you know, been great. And I didn't know what stage I was at. And I told myself at that point, I don't know what stage I'm at, but whatever I, when I get through this, I'm always going to do exactly what I want to do specifically in my career. I'm never going to, I am not going to settle. I'm always going to drive myself to do what I want to do because the life is short. I mean, I, you know, and so I found out I was stage one, thankfully, and, you know, a little bit of radiation and, 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 and still all the stress. But at the time I, so long story short, when I was 23, when I was, I just want to back mm -hmm. up for one second. When I was 18 years old, my dad gave me a set of tape sets by Brian Tracy, the psychology of success. And he said, Jonathan, um, I think you'll do really well in college but I think you'll learn a lot more from these people than you will school. And I put it on my ears and I listened to Brian Tracy and I thought, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. I want to write books. I want to speak. I want to inspire people to grow themselves, their business. And it just seemed like it was in complete alignment. So I became obsessed with it. I mean, I don't think that a day has gone by in the last 30 years that I haven't listened, watched, um, and grown my skill set all through college every single day. I mean, I would train for a marathon and I would go out and run five, 10 miles and I'd bring, you know, three cassette tapes, uh, four cassette tapes. I would go to the, be at the gym. If I wasn't working out with my buddies, I was listening to a, a tape. I mean, I, I was obsessed with learning and growing. And so when I graduated college, um, so my dad, so I graduated college, I started an internet company with my brother um, and a buddy of ours. We made websites and I was responsible for the the business planning and being the head sales guy and growing the sales team because I had studied all through college on kind of how to mm -hmm. do a lot of this stuff. We ended up selling the company two years later to a company called US Web, which at the time was the largest internet professional service firm in the world. Partners in that company for a couple of years. And then I left. And so by the time I left, um, I was 27 and all these people had died and I was ready to have like a nervous breakdown. And I was very grateful that I was in a financial situation 
that when I left, I took a year and a half off and I did not work. Um, I kind of had a side company, which was not a big deal, but I really like, I slept, I got into therapy, I worked out and I took care of myself. I needed to just get back to center. And I felt like God had given me a great gift that I was able to do it. During that time, I met my wife and just like, it was just like, it was just an amazing time because all of a sudden my time became my own, right? I, I wasn't responsible for managing people. I could just go. I, would, I was enjoying life. I met my wife. She was in Chicago. I go to Chicago for weeks at a time. And we just, it was just a blast. I felt like, and, and, and I don't know how this sounds, but the burden of everything, that not that I didn't love my family, but the burden was not on my shoulders any longer. And I could just kind of like take this, these, this next chapter and just enjoy myself. And I did. And um, I didn't work for a year and a half. And then I got into, and then I did one quick year at this one company because I wanted to be an employee for a big corporation. And then I got into commercial real estate for six years, became a top conventional um, multifamily broker in my office. After six years, I was bored. I wanted to start my coaching company. Um, in August, August 4th of 08, I ended up taking over my Detroit office um, and the market crashed in September. I then uh, grew my office over six years to be one of the most profitable in the entire company to 45 agents, 60 some people. I was a national and regional trainer. I was on the CEO advisory committee. I'd go into troubled offices, help figure out what was going on. Then after six years of that, I just got restless and I was going to start my own coaching business. Um, ended up as I was leaving that company, I went in-house for a year to help restructure a 50-year-old real estate company uh, with a good buddy of mine. Did that for one year and then five and a half years ago, um, started my coaching business. And I work with CEOs and leaders. Um, I work with managers to teach them how to manage people. I work with salespeople to teach them how to sell. And I have clients all over the country. And, um, and, I, and I love what I do. I feel like I'm in complete alignment with my purpose, my passion to help other people. Um, so the road was long and windy, um, but you know I've, I I I feel great. I'm healthy. Um, I have a beautiful wife who's the greatest. I have two great kids who are the greatest, um, and uh, and I feel like you know everything that I've gone through, I've worked a lot through, and now I can use it to really help a lot of other people. I don't necessarily always share like I am right now with this in-depth mm -hmm. story, but I can pull I can pull different emotions and pull different situations and understand and on just a high empathetic level struggles that people go through and my struggles were not, you know, I grew up my father was a dentist, we didn't necessarily need or you know for for things, but um, so I grew up in a fortunate way that way, but I can identify with really tough stuff. And I think empathy is so important. So I can hear things that just people aren't saying, and I can see things that people aren't seeing because I think all the things that I had to walk through. And so I channel a lot of it and to, to kind of allow me to use my pain to serve mm, others. It's beautiful. And, and I know we're a little tight on time. Um, there's so much there. And that I, I moved my two o'clock. Okay, to good. Well, we'll take a little extra yeah. time. Um, so, so uh, I, I really relate to what you're saying and find it to be inspiring to hear. Um, you know, I also discovered kind of books on tape. That was my, uh, yeah. I, for me, it was Wayne Dyer. And, oh, and I love and, Wayne. I love it. Have you seen his movie? His yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I still yeah. love, I mean, I'm like listening to podcasts of Wayne Dyer that, you know, clearly are very old, you know, <laughs> I love Wayne but, Dyer. but I just, yeah. that just kind of hit me at a young age. 
And I also, you know, started therapy at a very young age. When my parents got divorced, my mom took me to therapist, um, you know, was in therapy in high school, you know, stayed in and out of therapy my whole life. But but it was always about growth. You know, my wife and I did Landmark Forum. I'm in a bunch of masterminds. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love, I love the idea of, you know, kind of being our best selves. And it's taken different mm-hmm. turns for me. You know, there were times where it was about, my work. There were times where it was about, you know, other, maybe even self-indulgent things. And now it's really more about just, you know, kind of being at peace and, and, you know, joy and love and purpose. And, and so I, and, and I've also spent, you know, a good chunk of my career in real estate. Um, You know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast now. I've also been speaking and it, it, it feels very much like it's that coming home to the thing that that for me, I didn't have the confidence, the courage, the kind of environment, the programming to do from the beginning when I really felt like it's what I was meant to be doing all along. And so when I yeah. hear you talk about you know you coming to your coaching work now, knowing that you started you know at eighteen with those those books on tape, you know, and yeah. and loving the growth work right away. You know, for you to land in the growth work makes total sense. And and the yeah, reason thanks. I want to just kind of make sure we talk about that a little bit more is because I think that's so true for so many people that the their programming or society or the desire to have money or things or status or please other people, their provide yeah. whatever stories and rackets they have, they they go into we go into careers, jobs, work that really aren't kind of totally aligned with who we are and what maybe our our truest purpose is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's getting into alignment with what you, you do so you can take action on action on a consistent basis is I think so important and very difficult, especially I know I had to work so hard. I, you know, I, I had a business coach for many, many years, 13, 14 years, Jules Rappaport, and he passed away a few years ago. I, and he passed away. It was very difficult. Um, my father passed away unexpectedly. My mother passed, my mother-in-law passed away seven weeks later and my business coach of like 13, 14 years it's passed terrible. away. It was horrible. And he was, and he always used to say to me, and I never understood it. And I would always kind of get mad at him in the beginning. I'd be like, he'd be like, you need to be more selfish and stop caring about what all these people think and stop trying to be such a people pleaser. And I remember thinking, you know what? You're just a dick, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> like, I, I'm just not wired mm-hmm. that way. And, um, and he would, um, and he would always, um, kind of talk to me and he'd be like, you've got to take care of yourself more. Like you just got to take better care of you. You got to protect you. You got to do what you want to do. And, um, and, and that always, and I never understood it. And the older I get, and now that I'm 48, I totally begin to get it even more and more and more. And, and I think, you know, we, I love Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and, you know, and, and I can't say it as eloquent as he could, and I haven't, you know, read his, it's been a while since I read his book, but he talks about, you know, like, um, I think it's Socrates or Aristotle, you know, you're not your thoughts, Mm -hmm. but the way Eckhart Tolle, you know, talks about it is it's kind of like, there's you, and then there's the observer Mm -hmm. of you. And if you can kind of like rewind into the observer of you and get rid of all the voices and your, you know, your parents and your grandparents, like, 
I once had a therapist tell me, which I thought was great advice. Like when you have all these voices in your head, just say, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like, I love uh, Michael like just, Singer, um, Untethered Soul and Surrender Experiment. Yeah, and so, so he, great. He, he calls yeah. the voice that like annoying roommate. You know, and like, yes, you, yeah, you would yeah, tell yeah. your he roommate does, yeah. to be quiet, you know? <laughs> Correct. Right. And so, so like, that's why I think I love meditation and, and I keep um, somewhat of a daily journal. I, I go daily for a long time and then maybe I'll stop mm-hmm. and then I start again. But I always um, in it kind of like, you know, I, I can tell you I did it today because I, I answer the same question. I answer, I have this journal and I answer the same questions every time I do it. So I'm on actually a five-day streak right now, my app just said. But it's, I answer the following questions. Today, my intent is, today I'm grateful for, today I'm thankful for, today I will let go of, today I will forgive, today's lesson is, today my intuition um, was telling me, today I pray for, and today I'll do blank for myself. What app is that? Share with the audience. Well, I just I just add okay. those questions, but the app I use is called okay. Day One. It's, a, it's called Day One Journal. But I, but but those questions get me rooted to kind of like you know let a lot of stuff go and um, and just kind of get my headspace and quiet the other voices in my mm-hmm. head. And so you know sometimes it'll be like who will I forgive? Well, and then something pops in my head of like I hear my dad or my mom or my grandpa or my grandma's advice that I know is not right for me, and I've probably jumbled it up to kind of like now let it bother me. So I kind of, well, even like journal, like I let go Mm -hmm. this thought, Mm -hmm. you know, like it does not serve me any longer or whatever my interpretation was when someone said it to me, you know, 20 years ago when I was 28 (laughs) and today I'm 48. So it's like, I I find myself having done a lot of work Mm -hmm. like that to ignore the voices. So my point is getting back to your question. If you can really kind of get in touch with what you want. And one of the things I recommend to clients who are kind of stuck in that is writing out a three-year narrative three years from today as if it already Mm -hmm. happened. And then it makes it a lot easier to kind of put your narrative and your story as you walk it over the next couple of years in in your tense and your voice. Tell me a little bit more, just kind of as we're starting to wrap up, uh, about your coaching practice. You know, describe kind of how you coach who you're coaching. You know, I love this idea of the three-year narrative. You know, what other kind of key tools are a part of your practice? Yeah. So I work with um, C-level execs and owners of companies to really help them. A lot of times they don't have anybody to talk to. They don't have anybody to talk to or let alone strategize with. And so because, you know, I always tell people I'm a business coach that's actually been in business, sold a business, grown businesses. You know, it's funny. I, I interviewed somebody earlier today um, on a podcast, a live podcast with a co-host buddy I have. And, you know, they said, what makes a good coach? And they said, well, you have to have a certification. And I was <laughs> thinking to myself, you're on my show. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have a certification. Why are, you mm-hmm. saying, why are you saying that? But, you know, but to me, I've been in business, so I get business. And so when I talk to owners, I can give them insight into the, the, the power or the poison of their words and when, how they communicate with their leadership team, their people. I mean, it's, it's just, there's, um, and help them set their vision, their culture, and just rewind all of it and help them be you know, a visionary and integrate and provide all the steps. I'm big, at, I'm big in rewinding and giving people steps on, okay, here's what to do next. So a lot of my coaching is um, 15 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. a week. So a lot of, I have a mm-hmm. lot of clients who just, we do 15 minute calls a week. I take um, crazy mm-hmm. notes. Um, and then um, you know, they just, they call me whenever mm-hmm. they need me. 
So I'm always accessible mm-hmm. to my clients. And so those that's kind of the C-level group. And then I have managers who I work with because they don't know how to manage people. They've been promoted because uh, they've been good at their job. They don't know how to manage people. So I spend a ton of time working with managers. I also work with companies how to create a management um, training program. Um, basically, you know, what's the prereqs? What do they got to do to become a manager? What's the guidelines of a manager? How do they how do they manage people? And then not only do they, how do they manage people, but how are they training the people to talk to the managers? Because that's a lot of places where companies get it wrong. They train the managers on how to manage people, but they don't train the people on how to communicate with mm-hmm. the managers. So nothing, you know, so, so, and, and those miscommunications can cost companies millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars. Um, and so I also, and then I also work a lot with salespeople because a lot of them um, need kind of weekly um, ideas, weekly, um, um, goal setting, and they don't have the people in place to help manage mm-hmm. those people. And so training, I do a lot of training, a lot of one-on-one coaching, group coaching as well for kind of groups of salespeople and a lot of leadership coaching. And, and, and I can customize, I customize everything I do. Nothing I do is cookie cutter. Um, everything I do, I use my intuitive nature. I listen intensely um, and I know how to provide and give tools to companies to help mm. them grow. The only time it doesn't work is when the people I'm working with don't want to mm-hmm. do the work. Yeah, they, they've got yeah. to really want to opt in. And you know, it's it's I, maybe we can kind of just wrap up with this. I, I'm I'm also very curious about this kind of credential piece. Um, I, I'm involved with a Strategic Coach, and oh, I did I did a year. Okay, strategic yeah. So coach. Dan Sullivan, you know, yeah. he he always says it's it's about um, capabilities, not credentials. And that, you know, yeah. there's been such a historic focus on credentials, especially in the kind of psychology world, you know, that if you Correct. didn't, if you weren't a licensed therapist, if you, before that, you know, if you weren't a psychiatrist, you're a psychologist, now you're a therapist, now you're a coach, right? And there's a lot of judgment down the, down the line. I, I right. personally agree with you that although, you know, and I've, I've kind of enrolled in coaching programs um, and learned a lot. And there is a lot to be learned to being on the other side of the desk, to being on the other side of the couch. You know, the way that therapists work, it does does right. require some training and a lot of training and a lot of experience. But but I also believe that having the experience is is really yeah. the critical piece because if you can't yeah. relate to somebody, if you if you haven't lit, walked in their shoes, I don't know how you coach somebody. You know, yeah, I don't know. How and you do I either. see people going into coaching, and I love that it's becoming so accessible. There's so so much need. You know, there's so much right. need for people to get guidance and advice and help and support. So it's great that it's so popular, uh, but but I worry a little bit that if you don't actually have the experience that you have, then you don't really know yeah. how to advise somebody. Yeah, no, you agree? Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I agree, Brett. Yeah, I mean, to me, everything I do is custom. So it's interesting. I've created probably 4,000 kind of worksheets over the course of many, many years. And, and I use them when I need them. But every, every single thing I do, every call I have, you know, I'll have sometimes 20 Zoom meetings back to back. Every single one mm-hmm. is different. Everything is customized to the DNA and the bedrock of what that person needs to do to grow themselves and their business and get over whatever their stuck point is that day. I work with successful successful people who are stuck. 
And so it's kind of customizing and then giving them the tool that makes sense for them in the moment, literally that they can use in real time, not a kind of a system. I did strategic coach for, um, for a year and, and it was great. I got a little bored with it. And so, cause I was in room, a room with like, you know, level one people. And I said like, this is not, this is not enough. I need more brain yeah. strategy. Yeah. Well, what, 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 and so, uh, what coach has done, I don't know how long ago you did it. I also had the same experience at level one. Um, and yeah. I begged my way into level two and eventually level three. And so now everything I get out of it, I, maybe 90% of what I get out of it is the brains in the room. It's not so yeah. much about yeah. the tools anymore. It's about the right. the collaborative thinking, the you know, the the kind of intelligence in the room that, you know, just gives yeah. me a lot still. Yeah. Yeah. But I still I still use a lot of their yeah. tools. I think they're great. But I think if for coaching, like on the spot, real time coaching, I think you can't coach by a form. You know, there's a there's a really popular system that a lot of people use um, that I think is a great system, but a lot of times what I'll tell people is it's great, but don't forget about your intuition. Mm -hmm. Everything can't be answered by filling it out mm -hmm. on a form. So I'll go into a company. I'll say, you need to fire these mm -hmm. two people. They'll be like, well, we got to fill out the mm -hmm. form. We got to have a three hour meeting with mm -hmm. 10, you know, with five leaders. I'm like, okay, but that is going to cost you $40,000 to have that mm -hmm. meeting. I can tell you right mm -hmm. now, you're going to have to fire this person for these two mm -hmm. reasons and, or put them in a new seat. And, and so they go through like sometimes too yeah. many systems when, and they don't listen to their yeah. gut. And so I'm a big fan of getting people to, you know, really be intuitive and, and listen to their yeah. gut. My, my coach has always said that the way that you form really great gut instincts is by doing a lot of sit-ups, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think what happens is those people don't have strong guts, strong cores, Right. To be Correct. able to trust yeah. their intuition if they can even hear it at all. Um, so if you're Correct. helping them with that, that's that's amazing. Um, I, listen, I could talk to you all day. This is very yeah. interesting for me. There's a lot of overlap. I look forward to joining you on your podcast. But your yeah. story is really great, John. I give you a lot of credit. You know, kind of all that good and and that challenge. I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of challenge to be losing relatives, to lose your mother, lose your father, to have cancer yourself. And I, I really, uh, I, I empathize with you and your life. And I, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed and I'm, you know, inspired to see just how you've really landed. You know, as you said, kind of early yeah. on, how you sit with all of that in your kind of day to day. And I imagine your house to be full of love that you're probably, yeah. you know, the great parent that yours were to you and, and you're doing that to your kids. Yeah, and, and now you're really aligned, totally doing what you're meant to be doing and helping other people. Um, it's yeah. great stuff. I really appreciate you I sharing appreciate it. Uh, your story and doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. I, I would like to share one more yeah, quick please. thing yeah. for people who are listening. And, and cause I think this is a really important thing. So um, but when I was 30, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer and you only need five years of checkups, but I did 10 just to be safe. And on my 10 year, um, checkup, the kind of the routine is you go in two days before you get your blood taken and then you meet with your doctor two days later and, um, uh, two or three days later, I can't remember. And so I got my blood taken and I'm going to Chicago for a company meeting, driving to Chicago. And my doctor calls me on the phone. Um, I'm 40 years old and says to me, you need to come into my office right away. 
your cancer has spread. It's riddled through your entire body. You're, we've never seen anything like this. You're really, really sick. And I felt mm. great. So I like lost it. I pull off at the side of the road. I'm at this McDonald's. I call my wife. I call my therapist at the time. I'm like freaking out. I don't even know how I drove home. I pick up my wife. I go to my doctor. He's in front of his computer with a person behind him. And he says, you know, your, your numbers are X, Y, and Z. You're going to have to start chemo immediately. You're going to have to go through surgery. You're going to have to do this. We've never seen results. Basically, you're going to die. And so I said to him, I think you're wrong. I just don't feel it. I don't feel it the way I knew I had it years ago. And so I want you to, re- I want you to run emergency tests on me. And um, he, said, he said, I am so sure that we're right. The odds of us being wrong are one in a million. I said, okay, well, I just don't think you're right. Now, I was freaking out, mm-hmm. by the way, but this is just what my intuition was telling me. So, and he had me in a, in a, in a room checking me out, telling me he's so sorry he does, he's never seen anything like this in his 30 some years. Da, da, da. So they ran all these emergency CAT scans and ultrasounds and blood work and, and everything. My wife and I, a uh, day and a half later, were waiting for the phone to ring for the results. And, um, and he says to me, the phone rings were at Starbucks and we like both hit the ground and he's and he says to me, you were right. They botched your blood. You're fine. Jeez. And the reason I, I share that story is because you, in life, a couple of things, you have to be your own doctor. You have to listen to your intuition and you never know when life's going to be taken from you. And if you're ever in a situation where you think you have limited time and you're waiting a day and a half to find out if you're going to die or if you're completely healthy, you don't want to make a life change in that space, in that moment. So listen to your gut, whoever's listening to this, and ask for the promotion. Do what needs to be for the promotion. Go out and start your own business. Start a side hustle. Like Don't wait for tomorrow because you never know when tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, or tomorrow is going to come, and 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 take care of yourself first and foremost, and um, and just do what you want to do and have fun with your yeah. life. Yeah. So I just want to kind of end because I think it's an important message that like you know sometimes so many people get to a point where it's like things get so bad and they're like I should have I could have I would have I this just just start with yeah. something. I'm really glad that you shared that story. I was actually thinking about it earlier when you had first been misdiagnosed and in both cases, you know, your intuition, it's not just something that serves you as a coach or in the business world or in your work. I mean, it it literally has saved your life more than once. And boy, you know, if, if, if people only hear that, you know, that is reason enough to meditate to do yeah. this work, get in therapy, get a coach, yeah. you know, start really learning how to do those sit-ups and and trust yourself and then act in alignment. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's a really powerful story. And I just want to yeah. uh, thank Brett. you again. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed getting to know you and, you know, shout out to Dave Meltzer for introducing yes, us. So, great. you know, I Dave appreciate Meltzer, it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.